Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome to How to Survive with Danielle and Christine, the show that teaches you how to survive the things that can kill you, like being eaten by rats <laughs> or a skiing collision. How about hoarding disorder? Oh, that can kill you. And the things that just make you wish you were dead. Like being publicly fired. <laughs> or how about being shushed in public? Happened. Working in trash TV? Mm, done, done, and will do in the future. I have had a lot of these experiences. And one of the things that always makes me feel better, Danielle. Can I guess? Yeah. Is it playing the theme song? Let it roll. <laughs> Let it roll. <laughs> <laughs> Let it roll. Ground is shaking under our feet. Mountains on fire, flooding in the street. Can't breathe the air, can't fight the feeling. Goblin down, Xanax ain't the way to be dealing. Gotta do better than just getting high. We gotta stick together if we're gonna survive. Hey, Danielle. Hey, Christine. How's it going? Good. How are you? Uh, well, a lot of stuff's happened since we've seen each other. Yes. Um, and I'll tell you some of it if you want to hear it. Okay. And I'll tell you mine, although it's not that exciting. Well, as uh, you know, this morning I had to take my kids to school because my husband's store was broken into. Yes. And uh, they dug a hole through. So no, wait, but clarify, okay. not the store. The warehouse. Yeah. So. You know, my husband has a um, lighting and design type store. And then he also has a workshop where people who work for him build some of his original designs. They dug a hole through the roof in Hollywood because there's a picture of a guy climbing through. It's amazing. Um, I'll show it to you, Garen. And then I just got an update that they did steal a bunch of stuff. So they're taking stock now. So I like machines. No, like parts. So it's going to be it's going to be not a great situation. So is that like wood and stuff? No, it's like it's like um, lamp parts. Oh, so it's for the metal. Probably. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of a lot of money. It looks like. Do you want to see the picture, Garen? There's the person. It's sideways, so you kind of you kind of have to. But then if you flip it, it really looks like this dude's falling through. I know. And this is the start of a fail video. So the thing that it reminded me of is um, there is a movie that Oliver and I saw not that long ago called Rafifi, Mm -hmm. which is a very famous Italian, I believe, uh, heist movie. Oh wow! And they enter the bank 
through the ceiling, which okay. is the floor of the room they're above. And it's this beautiful, amazing scene done like in quiet. Okay. I think there's no music. And it's just this long scene. And the reason I know about the movie is because it's referenced in The Americans. I don't know if you remember when she goes to see a movie. Um, Elizabeth goes to see a movie because she's following this young guy who works for a senator or something. Okay. He's like in college and he's into old movies. So that's where I heard of the movie. And then Oliver was like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. It's like a really famous. So we watched it. And um, is should we watch it? Is it worth watching? It's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, do you want to mention your dad's yes. cameo on Picard? That was... What? What? Tell it, me. It was incredible. So the last episode of Picard aired last week, mm-hmm. and my dad did a voice on it playing Chekhov's son named Anton Chekhov after Anton the actor who played um, Chekhov in the in the movies who died tragically at a young age. And uh, yeah, so it was pretty exciting. We watched it. It, it, oh, was, had, yeah. it was me and one of my best friends, Eric, who's been a lifelong Star Trek fan uh-huh. for life. And when that came out, we're like, for a second, I was like, is that really him? Yeah. And it, it was really, it was a really cool moment. Yeah. Because he's doing it with happens. an American accent. So you're like, oh, it's his son. Okay. Because yeah, I was, was even like, I don't understand where did his accent Because I don't understand how the timeline works in Star Trek. I don't watch any of the shows. So. And then I was like, oh, it's his son. Okay, that makes sense. And then he quotes his father, and in that moment, he did a Russian accent for that those couple of words. That was really cool. So that was neat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so I love that. Yeah, we watched the whole episode because we didn't know if he was coming back. And so, you know, it's funny to watch the last episode of a show you've never watched. I mean, <laughs> yes. I, I was an intern on Voyager, so I got the Borg thing. Like, I, I know, I, you know, I, I figured it out. I have a cat update. Oh. It's very confusing. Let's hear it. So I think as when we last left off, Benjamin had gone missing. Yes. You know, re- presumably to have her babies. Yes. She's come back. Mm-hmm. She's skinny now. Okay. Where are the fucking babies? Oh. Do cats leave their babies? I guess they have to get food, right? <sighs> yeah, they don't. They usually leave. They put them somewhere safe and then... Okay. So he, he she's maybe going back and forth. Okay. I hope that's the case. Mm-hmm. I can't she, I mean that would be against nature for her to abandon the babies, right? That wouldn't make any sense. I don't know that much. It probably happens. <sighs> hmm. And did you say does she go over to a neighbor sometimes? Well, that no. I mean she might, but not that she's not one of the ones that goes to the other neighbor. But um I so I followed her. <laughs> Good. Oh. So she was in our backyard. Mhm. So I ran through the house to follow her because she went around. Yeah. I found her near my car. Mm-hmm. And then she went across our lawn. So I'm following her. She goes under the fence back into our backyard. So I run through the house. I go to the backyard. She's gone. So I'm like, okay, so she must have left. I turn around. She's headed back toward the, the, the food dish. Okay. So uh, she's maybe not going to let you get close to them. Like, yeah, she knows I guess. you're following I just, her. She I, might yeah, just be yeah, like, yeah, I know. Do you have a, a tiny GPS or... <laughs> I said we should put a um, GoPro on yeah, our head. Just get a cat-sized, like a tiny GoPro. Yeah. Put it on her head. You can Apple tag. Just maybe give her a collar or something put on there. Oh, she's that not going to let me get her get close oh, enough to... These cats are feral. They're not going to... She's <laughs> not going to let me get... But then our Grey Goose, the one we call Grey Goose, showed up today out of nowhere. Has been hmm. gone for weeks. This was Jimmy's favorite. Yeah. She just showed up out of nowhere. Shocking. Well, I, I saw this cute video on the dodo about this woman who rescued this really, like, 
intensely feral gray kitten uh-huh. and sh- showed you how to sort of uh, tame it. And I'm, I'm going to share it with you. Oh. It's really cute. It's a really oh, cute video. I'll, cute. I'll put it in the newsletter. And she ends up ordering this thing I didn't even know existed. Now I want one, but it's like a cat sweater <laughs> that you wear like a, and it has a big, no. it has a big like, <laughs> kangaroo pouch uh, that then you put the cat in because uh, it feels like it's mom oh and then it God. suckles in there it's got like fake nipples it doesn't i don't think it has fake <laughs> nipples you can't get those on etsy i looked into it and wait what <laughs> why because you know mandy likes to like oh, nurse yeah, yeah, off yeah, of yeah. everything and uh <laughs> but she would have to take this cat and swaddle it wrap its little mm-hmm. paws all tight because it would just scratch and bite Aww. her so much and then t- swaddle it and then put the, the food in like a teaspoon to get it to eat because it would like attack the dish and attack her. It was so feral. and But it was wow. a kitten. So it was a little easier to manage. So. So. I'm putting on my glasses. Okay. They were already there. They were. And you know what that They're means, cheap. guys. Yeah. We are going to get in to some really intense stuff today. Okay. All right. I'm excited. This topic is a tale as old as time, just like Beauty and the Beast. At least we can find it in the literature centuries back. Guess what? I'm going to reference Michael Imperioli's favorite, 14th century Dante. (laughs) He describes hoarding behavior in his Inferno. Yes. Situating them with the wasters in the fourth circle of hell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did not read any Dante in my life. Have I, you? Yes, I've read uh, Dante's Inferno. And I've read the Inferno. Darren, have you read the Inferno? I think I've tried to, but it's my intelligence level can can barely surpass Family Guy. <laughs> That's your link to Michael Imperioli. <laughs> it was uh, assigned, and the one year college I was in, it was assigned. Oh, well, that's good. You got through it. I have not, but maybe someday I'll put it on my bucket list. They strained their chests against enormous weights and with mad howls rolled them at one another, shouting, why do you hoard? And the other, why do you waste? They were so skewed and squint-eyed in their minds, being miserly or extravagant, mocked all reason. Here's another uh, reference. The famous the famous 17th century writer Nikolai Gogol, if you know that writer, he's in the Chekhov... Uh, you know, there are those famous 17th century Russian uh-huh. writers that uh, George Saunders loves to talk about. Um, he's one of those. This character Plushkin, he's disheveled, dressed like a beggar in torn and filthy clothing and surrounds himself with an extraordinary mess, a spectacle of untidiness. The room reeked of a tomb and was cluttered with cobweb covered broken furniture and tools, a dirty glass with dead flies, an antiquated sole of a shoe. Sounds so nice when he describes it. Yeah. Piles of manuscripts and rags, a chandelier so encrusted with dust that it looked like a cocoon enclosing a caterpillar and an old piece of moldy cake. Ooh. So this is providing kind of a textbook description of a person with a hoarding yes. disorder. Plushkin seemed unable to discard anything, including a used toothpick with which he had cleaned his teeth, at least before coming, at least before the coming of the French to Moscow. Senile... Sorry, senile squalor with a tendency to hoard rubbish 
has even been referred to as Plushkin's syndrome. Oh, okay. So that reference actually ended up becoming important in a way they used to describe hoarding disorder in the oldie timey days. And you said senile. So these are older people? Senile squalor. Well, as we'll come to find out, um, it increases in uh, seriousness as people get older. Interesting. It was originally, hoarding disorder Uh was originally considered a manifestation of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, but became its own clinically distinct diagnosis under a class of OCD Uh and related disorder in the DSM, which we know as the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, in 2013. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Okay. It's characterized by chronic, persistent difficulty and significant distress in discarding possessions, regardless of their value. Mm. Up to 90% of people with hoarding disorder excessively accumulate unnecessary, often useless objects, including trash. Oof. The cause has not yet been determined. So here's what happens, okay? It often creates extremely cramped living conditions with only narrow pathways winding through stacks of clutter. Ugh. Countertops, sinks, stoves, desks, stairways, and all other surfaces are usually piled with stuff. You may not be able to use some areas for their intended purpose. Mm. You may not be able to cook in the kitchen. When there's no more room inside your home, the clutter may spread to the garage, vehicles, yard, and other storage areas, okay? It can range from mild to severe. In some cases, it may not have much impact on your life, while others... Uh, it can really affect your daily functioning. Often people with the disorder don't see it as a problem. Right. So the problem is getting them to take part in treatment. Right. It can be really challenging. Because uh, that's their stuff. They just want their stuff. Leave them alone. Exactly. Uh, but the treatment can help the person understand how their beliefs and behaviors can be changed so they can live a safer, better life. I'm going to give you some Numbers. We like numbers on the show, right? Love stats. 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 Stats are our jam. Sorry, I got no a little more than an ounce of numbers, though. Oh, oh yeah. I'm you gonna keep do, it under an ounce. Do, yeah. Do an ounce of <laughs> yeah. Just a few grams of. Keep it under grams. The prevalence varies from 2.3 percent to more than 5 percent of the population. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know how many people that is. I don't know either, but 5% seems like a lot. It does seem like a lot. And as I said earlier, it worsens as the hoarder ages. I wonder, and I'm sorry if you get to this later, I'm just jumping around. I wonder if this is um, the same sort of problem in America that it is in other places, or rather oh. vice versa. Because we have so much stuff and so much access to stuff that I'm curious if in other countries where mm-hmm. the value systems are different mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they just if it's also a problem but if it's a psychological problem that would seem like well that's going to affect, affect people people everywhere the same but anyway just curious. that's a really good question i i didn't come across any information on country differences yeah. i would love to know the answer to that and if garen has time he can look into it if not i'll have the information for the newsletter there's no consistent gender differences, but there may be a genetic component. Okay. So they've done some twin studies and have found some mm. genetic information there. Do, do one of your twins um, hoard? 
Uh, not yet, but they're young. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. The reason that things get worse as people age is because as we age, objects can represent important connections to other people um, from the past and the present. So the cherished items mm. have been called a narrative scaffolding. So there's a there's an emotional sentimentality yes. to associated with the objects. And and it gives people a more sort of concrete sense of identity. It's sure. like and I think as also they start to lose more people in their lives, the things can represent uh, more uh, meaning to them. Yeah. Uh, as you probably can already guess, those who hoard, they develop emotional attachments to objects. But those attachments are disabling, maladaptive, and pathological. Sometimes they even anthropomorphize anthropomorphize them oh oh like we um, gotta give them Winston, human characteristics Wilson the volleyball here yeah it's yeah. like I, I i can't throw those away like it'll hurt them oh you know it's like yikes the things have emotions yeah um so they don't they've done some neurocognitive studies and they found that they're the, the, the studies are inconclusive so they found some deficits in executive functioning and including digital including decision-making and difficulty in categorization and organization and lack of inhibition. Uh-huh. But they don't have enough definitive, they don't have enough definitive results to come out and say anything like, we've found this mm. is different in the brains of That's people who are. Okay. I mean, the, what I used to hear, and obviously with the passage of time, this seems like a less likely scenario, is that it sort of was like a... Um, a uh, children of the depression mm-hmm. kind of thing because you can't throw anything out because everything is valuable and can be used. Absolutely. I'm not going to throw out my plastic sandwich bag because I can use it again if I rinse it out. Um, now, I would do that for environmental reasons, but that's, a, you know, that's just one example. But like I could be using all these things for something. But obviously we're at the point where we're getting kind of past the people living who are around in the depression. So Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, we. I ended up watching an episode of Hoarders last night. Yeah, I was going to ask because I've never ever watched it, and so I, I wanted to find like a really interesting episode. But sadly, the one I wanted to watch wasn't available, so I just watched one from this past season that was online. And that woman who had a very severe case, and her husband uh, enabled her, which is very common. Oh, okay. Um, they were challenged by their children uh, to change their lives because their grandchildren couldn't even come over. They, wow. Their whole house was every room and they'd put it another a thousand square feet onto their home. Which, For, to, to add this. Yeah. Which Jesus. Couldn't, they couldn't even finish the thousand square feet because the woman immediately filled it with more stuff. Oh it's my God. It's really alarming. Um, Can I ask, was it like she was buying online or was it like newspapers? No, it's, or it's, it, it was it was just, it looked like a thrift store. It was all junk. It all looked like junk. But okay. she would not let them get rid of anything. It was like they'd be like, "Can we get rid of these biscuits?" And she's like, "That's bird food." No, right. like everything had had a purpose. Had a purpose. But it was so alarming to see, and they had so many mice inside the house <gasps> going to the bathroom everywhere. And she, they would be like, "Mom, we can't donate these shirts. There's mouse." Um, feces and urine all over it and she's like I can wash that right and they're like no they won't even take it if you wash it like you can't and you don't have time but her disorder was very extreme 
Uh, By the way, that's why I can't watch that show. As I think I've seen clips of it, but I can't watch it because there might be vermin. Oh, and yeah, it's a lot of vermin on that episode. And, and a lot of people who just have 1,200 cats. And I'm like, I'm out. I can't. I can't. Yeah. There was that. That episode was was was. Do you see the vermin. mice? Yes. Oh, fuck. Well, nope. you see a lot of dead ones. Nope. Rotting mm-hmm. on their stuff. It's, nope. It's a lot. And she but her whole thing is, you know, my parents grew up in the Depression. OK. And she had grown up in an uh, as an army brat and they had to move a lot and they could only take what they ha- they could take amount an amount that could be weighed by the pound. Uh-huh. So it was like they were only allowed to move a certain weight of stuff like traveling in an airplane, essentially. Right. So she had to get rid of so much stuff as a child that I think her way of coping as an adult was like I can keep everything well I mean that makes sense that's an A to B you can figure out why she why that happened you can see it but like I mean I have a lot of issues with that show and and we can get into that later but well um, that's the other thing it's just like you can't fix somebody by just getting rid of their stuff like that's like going into an alcoholic's house and going well we took all the booze out right so we fixed you well on the show do they give them psychological they 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 don't really in the moment like that's the thing the kids were just like kind of yelling at her and being like mom you love your stuff more than me and don't you want your grandkids to come over and get rid of your stuff and she's just like sort of not responding because she doesn't know how like to like a deer yeah. in headlights and sort of like they're like you love this more than us and she, it's like well she has a disorder i it's, mean it's like being an addict you yeah. can't just yell someone out of their addiction that's not going to help her to just keep yelling at her so I did say that she and her husband went into therapy after, uh-huh. which I think was the good part, because I was like, is anyone not realizing that she probably She's needs just gonna to be get on more shit. medication yeah. and have intense therapy? Like, you're not just going to clean out her front room and then things are going to be fixed. Let's get back to the symptoms okay. of hoarding disorder. Obviously, getting and keeping too many items, right? Yeah. Having a difficulty throwing things out feeling the need to save the items and being upset by the thought of getting rid of them. Clutter to the point where you can't use rooms, okay? Uh, trying to be perfect and avoiding or delaying decisions. Uh. Problems with planning and organizing. Okay, so getting too many items and refusing to part with them can result in piles and stacks of items, newspapers, clothes, paperwork, books, or sentimental items. Walking spaces that are cluttered, living areas that are cluttered, rooms that can't be used for the intended purpose. Yeah. Not being able to sleep in your bed. Yeah, that's what happened in that, G- uh, G- I always get the name wrong, Jenny McCurdy book, the um, I'm, uh, I'm Glad My, my Mom Is Dead. Okay. Her, that's how she grew up. Her, oh, her mom was a hoarder? Yeah, so they oh. literally slept um, in the living room on the ground their whole lives. They had perfectly good house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this woman's their their shower was stacked to their tub was stacked to the top with um, just shit garbage. Jesus Christ! It was horrifying. Build up of food or trash to large unsanitary levels. Um, uh, problems keeping yourself safe or others safe in your home. Conflict with others who are trying to help you. Relationship issues. Um, losing things in the clutter. Okay, so why are you saving these things? You believe they're unique or that you'll need them at some point in the future. Right. You feel emotionally connected to the items because they remind you of happier times or represent beloved people or pets. You feel safe and comforted when surrounded by things. Uh Uh-huh. You don't want to waste anything. Okay. Hoarding is different from collecting. 
People have collections. <laughs> you sound like my parents. <laughs> <laughs> Such as stamps or model cars or dolls. Carefully search out specific items, organize them, and display their collections. They mm. can be large, but they aren't usually cluttered. Okay. When to see a doctor. If your loved one or you has symptoms of a hoarding disorder, talk with your doctor or a mental health provider with an expertise in, dis- in, dis- in diagnosing and treating hoarding disorder. So don't hire a camera crew from a TV show to come and exploit your parents? <laughs> well, That's a no-no? You know what? I'm going to say something right now. It's really expensive to go to therapy. <laughs> That's hey, you know what? You got a point. Do what you need to do. Plus, they probably bring the the uh, cans for you and stuff. The, uh, the, the What are they called? The... Big trash cans? What oh, they? yeah. They, they, dumpsters. Dumpsters. they bring a whole team. I mean, they yes. brought like multiple dumpsters, a yes. whole team. Um, but you know what? Uh, Pot How to Survive, get 10% off with BetterHelp. So there you go. <laughs> get yourself a hoarding expert on BetterHelp. Check the local or county government also for resources in your area. Okay. And I'm going to give you guys some resources in this episode. As hard as it might be. If your loved one's hoarding disorder threatens health or safety, you actually may need to contact local authorities such as police, fire, public health, child or elder protective services, yeah. animal, animal, animal welfare agencies. Okay. Do you guys want to know some risk factors? Yes. Family history. Oh. Uh, if you have a family member who has a hoarding disorder, you might have a disorder yourself. Interesting. Stressful life events. Mm. Some people develop a hoarding disorder after experiencing a stressful life event, like the death of a loved one, a divorce, losing possessions in a fire. Ah, that so makes sense. Like that. So here are th- some reasons you wouldn't want to be a person with a hoarding disorder, right? Yeah. Uh, risk of falling, injuries, being trapped by shifting or falling items, all the family conflict you're going to have. The loneliness and social isolation, because you're not going to invite people over to your house. The health risks, fire hazard. Uh, You can have some legal issues like eviction. Yeah. And just like if it's your home, how about your neighbors? How do you think they feel living next to that house? Because it's not going to look good on the outside either. Most likely. Most people aren't like inside I'm a hoarder, but outside fastidious. It looks amazing. It kind of spreads out. Right. You've seen those houses where it's like just things piled up everywhere. Okay, so often it's linked with other mental health conditions, depression, Mm. anxiety disorders, OCD, ADHD. You know, they don't know. It's kind of the what came first, the chicken or the egg. Right. It's like which thing, you know, happened first. One of the major issues, too, is just your increase in family conflict. You... uh, are losing valuable living space. Yeah. So this is going to create a family strain. Like if you're keeping your feral cat collection in the dining room, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to host Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, also, the person with a hoarding disorder may have a big debt from excessive shopping. Yeah. And and or to get more storage spaces for the, all this stuff. And that might make some tension in the family if somebody's like, oh, by the way, I also have another $20,000 on the right, credit right. card. Sorry, honey. Um, or if the other family members try to clean and organize the home, mm. the person with the hoarding disorder may feel really violated or deceived. Yes. And that can make a lot of arguments happen. So it just can really create a lot of pain in the family. How about the kids that grow up? How about them? In this home. Yeah. 
they're often embarrassed, so they don't have friends come over. Yeah. Um, or they're not allowed to because the parents are embarrassed. <laughs> this ki- the kids can feel isolated, helpless, resentful. Um, they also might not have anywhere to play or to study. Um, the, tr- the the parents may end up getting investigated by Child Protective Services. Yeah. Um, they might feel that the parents uh, love their possessions more than their kids. And that's what happened in the episode. Yeah. The, the kids kept saying, like, and these were adult kids. Like, right. they had kids of their own, but they still felt like our mom doesn't love us. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can understand their point of view, too. It's just they're not. They're not realizing, which is often with a family member, you don't realize like there's a lot more going on than you think. Like it's not as easy as just pointing out reality to them. That doesn't usually help. Yeah. I mean, I do. Again, it's like it feels like alcoholism where it's like, oh, they chose alcohol. Right. Right. right, But it's like, I don't know that it's a choice, really. And this person needs help. So you've also got the again, where the legal issues that can come up if somebody calls Child Protective Services um, the children can get taken away. Um, what if you're married to someone who has hoarding disorder? Yeah. I mean, that doesn't sound like a good time. Uh, you might end up having to threaten to leave the marriage. You may end up in a custody battle with them right. over the kids. Um, so you've got to deal with all of that. Um, in rare cases, both members of the couple have hoarding tendencies and together fill up their homes. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, it's like you kind of, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes those people are drawn to one another. Um, so that's the problem with that is intervention is often um, helpful unless both partners oh, are going right. to work on it at the same time. You think they okay. fight over space? Like right? this is where my old newspapers go. Yeah. You can no. take your Time magazines elsewhere. Right. Yeah, right? That's wild. My TV guides go in the bathroom. You know that. (laughs) These two, Margie and uh, I can't remember the husband's name. They each had like, I would say it was about four square feet of their own space. (sighs) And where he had his little chair and uh, like his iPad and she had her and and then it was all stuff. And then she (sighs) had hers with her sewing machine and they could see each other over the stuff. Oh. But it was, I mean. So the husband wasn't into the hoarding. He accommodated it. And he. Okay. He, but no, he was, when she, when they got her in the house away and he was outside, he was like, throw it out, throw it out, throw it oh. out, throw it out, throw it out. And then as okay. soon as she came back, he was, it was like everyone was really pretty scared of her. She was a tough broad. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So, you know, the clutter makes it also, as we talked about with Margie, uh, you get uh, dust, pet hair, pollen, grime. And you've got spilled liquids yep. that you can't Mold. clean up. You've got mildew, fungus, pests. So now you've got health issues. You've got maybe breathing problems, asthma, oh. um, really unsafe uh, living environment for, for adults, but especially for kids who don't have the immune system to um, handle this. You might not be able to reach the toilet or the sink or the shower. Jesus. So now you've got hygiene issues for everybody. So... How do we cope with this if you're living in this situation? If you're a family member, how do we survive this if you aren't the person and you have to endure this? First, you're going to seek some support to help you manage your own feelings. Learn your coping strategies. Therapists, social workers, counselors, peer support groups. Tell your loved one how their hoarding disorder has impacted your life. Uh-huh. Find other ways to bond with your family member. You know, like 
let them know things that you love about them that don't have to be connected to the all the crap they're bringing into the house. Right. Be assertive with them. You don't have to be passive aggressive in expressing your feelings. Also, be aware that it is a disorder. Yeah, right. You don't right. have to suffer as a consequence. I mean, you might not have the option to leave if you're not an adult. Know that it's really hard to change. Mm. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, validate your own feelings. And again, 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 seek help. And don't tell them what they should get rid of. Don't touch their possessions without their consent. Uh. You know, that's not going to, that's going to, not going to help them. That's enabling them, which you should also not do. Don't offer, here's some things you should never do, okay? Don't offer to store their items. No. Oh. Don't enable them. Yes. Don't offer to pay for extra storage space, okay? So you're just making the problem worse. Or offer, but then burn all that shit. <laughs> Don't go shopping or scavenging with the hoarder or bail them out of debts incurred by okay. their excessive shopping. Because then you're just, you know, yeah, that's like that's like getting them a lawyer for their third DUI. Right. <laughs> um, don't clean up after the hoarder. OK, while you want to assist your loved one to clean and organize when they request help, don't take on all the duties yourself. OK, the more you clean up after the hoarder, the less they'll be motivated to address the problem themselves. Oh. OK. So it doesn't mean you can't help, but you don't want to just be like, I'm taking care of this for you. Right. And also keep your expectations realistic. Okay. So they're not going to become a neatnik. Yeah. That's going to set you up for disappointment. This is going to happen gradually. They're going to be setbacks along the way. They're going to revert to old patterns and behavior. So instead of targeting a perfectly neat, clutter-free home, how about we just reduce the dangers? Right. Let's go for that. How about some support? Clutter's Anonymous, the Clutter Movement Family Support, the International OCD Foundation, for our friends across the pond, Hoarding UK. Oh, I'm and assuming there's, there's some U's in there. Oh, definitely. <laughs> couple. Children of Hoarders. These are Ooh. all support groups online. I will link it all. Lincoln. I will Lincoln log it. Sure. I'm just an old Don't, toy. Lincoln logs can also be hoarded. That's true. They should be in the can because if they're out of the can, mess. that's a mess. We don't care for it. I will link it all in the newsletter slash show notes. Great. I think we should hear a story. I think we should. I'm very excited to tell you this story. Oh, good. Because I don't think you're going to know it. But if you do, bravo. My my uh, knowledge of hoarding and hoarding related stories is very limited. Well, this is the story of the Collier brothers. Okay. They were sons of Herman Livingston Collier, a Manhattan gynecologist who worked at Bellevue Hospital, and his first cousin. So remember that. Yeah. Don't marry your first cousin. Right. Susie Gage Frost Collier, a former opera singer. Okay. So they both, oh, both Homer and Langley attended Columbia University. Uh, what do we have a year? Yeah, here? yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't have their birth year, so this is in the early twenties. Okay. Langley was an accomplished concert pianist. Okay. He played professionally for a time and performed at Carnegie Hall. In nineteen oh nine, Herman moved the family into a four story brownstone in the Harlem neighborhood at two thousand seventy eight Fifth Avenue. Okay. Homer and Langley never married or lived on their own. Oh, their father, Dr. Collier, died in 1923, leaving his sons all of his possessions, including items from his medical practice, which oh. they brought to their home in Harlem. <laughs> yeah. 
After their mother's death, the Collier brothers continued to live together in the Harlem brownstone they inherited. For the next four years, the brothers socialized with others, left their home on a regular basis. Okay, Okay, sounds good, right? In 1933, Homer lost his eyesight due to hemorrhages in the backs of his eyes. Ugh. I don't know. I don't know. I guess that happens. so 1920s. Right? They probably just put too much rouge on their knees or something. (laughs) Langley quit his job to care for his brother, and the two began to withdraw from society. Oh, boy. As time progressed, their brothers became fearful due to changes in the neighborhood. The large... <laughs> I know. Here we go. Oh, I.E. black people. You know it's coming. <laughs> the largely upper-class area changed due to the Great Depression. The brothers were also uncomfortable with the shift in racial demographics Ugh. as more African-Americans Even the blind guy. Harlem. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't see it, but I know, but I, know I don't it. like it. I know it. <laughs> After teenagers threw rocks at their windows, they boarded them up and wired the doors shut. In an, in an attempt to exclude burglars, Langley used his engineering skills to construct booby traps and tunnels among the collection of items and trash that filled the house. Ugh. The house soon became a maze of boxes, complicated tunnel systems consisting of junk and trash rigged with trip wires. Whoa! Homer and Langley Collier lived in nests... Ew, created ew, among ew, the ew. debris that was piled to the ceiling. Oh, my God. Piled to the ceiling. And I want you to keep in mind, these are very high ceilings. I mean, this is a giant brownstone in, you know. Yeah. Langley later told a reporter that he fed and bathed his brother, read him classic literature as he could no longer see, and played piano sonatas for him. Langley concocted a diet for his brother consisting of 100 oranges a week, <laughs> black bread, and peanut butter, claiming that this regimen was a cure for Homer's blindness. I love how these things never have a solution, but somehow they keep going. Like, he's yeah. still blind, dude. Yeah. Okay. How many, how many weeks does this have to happen yeah. before you realize it's not working? After Homer became paralyzed due to inflammatory <laughs> rheumatism, or maybe that diet. Yeah, right. <laughs> he, of he, all acid and peanut butter. Yeah. He refused to seek professional medical treatment because both brothers distract, dis, both brothers distrusted doctors. Even though their dad was a doctor. Bingo. The brothers feared that if Homer sought medical attention, doctors would cut his optic nerve leaving him permanently blind. He was already blind. Oh, my God. And give him drugs that would hasten his death. So they just made this stuff up in their heads. Right. Because their parents were first cousins. <laughs> Langley Collier later told a reporter, you must remember that we are the sons of a doctor. We have a medical library of 15,000 books in the house. We decided uh. we would not call in any doctors. You see, we knew too much about medicine. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's the that's your problem. You know too much about yeah. medicine. Langley began venturing out of the house only after midnight and would walk miles all over the city to get food, sometimes going as far as the Williamsburg, Brooklyn, sometimes going as far as Williamsburg, Brooklyn. That's where all the white people were. Oh, okay. He would also pick food out of the garbage and collect food that was going to be thrown out by grocers and butchers to bring back to his brother Homer. Because they failed to pay their bills, the electricity, water, and gas was turned off in 1938. They took to warming the large house with only a small kerosene heater. For a time, he Langley attempted to generate electricity by means of a car engine. <laughs> he would fetch their water from a pump in a nearby park. Their only link to the outside world was via a crystal radio that Langley made. 
Neighbors and shopkeepers in the area described Langley Collier as a generally polite and rational man, but added that he was crazy. Oh, okay. The rational kind of crazy. Yeah, that kind. On March 21st, 1947, an anonymous tipster phoned the 122nd police precinct and insisted there was a dead body in the house. The responding officer initially had a difficult time getting in. An emergency squad of seven men eventually had no choice but to begin pulling out all of the junk that was blocking their way and throw it out into the street below. The brownstone's foyer was packed solid by a wall of old newspapers, folding beds and chairs, half a sewing machine, boxes, (laughs) part of a wine press, and numerous other pieces of junk. A patrolman finally broke in through a window into a second-story bedroom. Behind this window lay, among other things, more packages and newspapers, empty cardboard boxes lashed together with rope, the frame of a baby carriage, a rake. Oh, Jesus, it's just getting creepier and and creepier. And old umbrellas tied together. The frame of a baby carriage. After five hours of digging, Homer Collier's body was found in an alcove surrounded by filled boxes and newspapers that were piled to the ceiling. Homer was wearing a tattered blue and white bathrobe, his matted gray hair reaching his shoulders, and his head was resting on his knees. The medical examiner confirmed Homer's identity and said that the elder brother had been dead for approximately 10 hours. According to the medical examiner, he died from starvation and heart disease. Police initially suspected that Langley Collier was the man who phoned in the anonymous tip regarding his brother's death. A police officer was posted outside the home to wait for Langley, but he never arrived. Police began to suspect that Langley was dead when he failed to attend Homer's funeral held on April 1st. After the discovery of Homer Collier's body, rumors began circulating that Langley had been seen aboard a bus heading for Atlantic City. You know, the guy that never left his house. Right. Reports of Langley sightings led police to a total of nine states. The police continued searching the house, removing 3,000 books, including several outdated phone books. A horse's jawbone, a Steinway piano. Well, to be fair, they used to use horse's jawbones for gynecological exams. Exactly. Just to, before they had the stirrups, just oh, to keep the legs open. I'm glad they changed the stirrups. Those I'm horse's really jawbones, they yeah. really left a dent in my uh, vulva. Yes. <laughs> and those poor horses. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were already being killed for glue, but still. I hated when they used the actual horse with the jawbone still on yes, the horse. Yes, yeah. That was just... Too much hot breath from the horse. Yeah. The horse's jaws are very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. We know you know. I know. (laughs) You almost lost that nipple. Okay. Where was I? Oh, a Steinway piano, an early x-ray machine, and more bundles of newspapers. More than 19 tons of junk were removed from the ground floor of the brownstone. The police continued to clear away the brother's stockpile for another week, removing another 84 tons of trash and junk from the house. Although a good deal of the junk came from their father's medical practice, a considerable portion was discarded items collected by Langley over the years. Approximately 2,000 people stood outside the home to watch the cleanup effort. Half a torso. I mean, like, I can't believe the police had to do this. It's crazy. Okay, here we go. On April 8th, 1947, a workman found the body of oh, Langley Jesus Collier Christ. 10 feet from where Homer had died. Langley was found in a two-foot-wide tunnel lined with rusty bed springs and a chest of drawers. His decomposing body, which was the actual source of the smell reported by the anonymous tipster, had been partially eaten by rats. Oh, good, good, And was covered by a suitcase, bundles of newspaper, and three metal bread boxes. The medical examiner determined that that Langley had died around March 9th. Police theorized that Langley was crawling through the tunnel to take food to his paralyzed brother when he inadvertently tripped a booby trap he had created and was crushed by debris. 
His death was attributed to asphyxiation. The brothers were buried next to their parents in unmarked graves at Cypress Hill Cemetery in a Brooklyn borough. <laughs> With all their trash on top of them. I mean, yeah. And we will be right back right after this. With our guest. With our guest. <laughs> Welcome back to How to Survive with Danielle and Christine. Christine, how was your break? It was a delight. Did you pee? No. Oh. I, I, my bladder is I know. You amazing. Have a, you have a superior bladder to me. We all know that. I but can't jump on a trampoline. Look, no. I'm not that level of bladder. No. In fact, I emailed you earlier this, or I texted you earlier this week because we were going to have a phone call. And I said, well, I have to take a shower. And I said, well, maybe I'll wait take the shower later and then I text you and I said well I just sneezed so you know what that means <laughs> gotta hop in the shower because clearly I've peed myself because um, <laughs> I can't do any normal function without peeing so we both f- are wearing diapers right now because <laughs> right. we laugh so hard on this podcast that yes. it's just it's just continuous it's just leaking continuously right, like that crazy astronaut lady you know what Yeah, I don't know why Depends isn't sponsoring us that's oh so I'm going to send emails today yeah. I'm going to get a sponsor on board we should do that. That's a good idea. Okay. Speaking of depends, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of depends, on the first half of the show, we talked about hoarding, mm-hmm. how to survive hoarding. Now we're going to talk about how to survive being on a trashy TV show with our very special guest, Jamie Denbow. Hi, Hi Jamie. Hi, Jamie. How about those trampolines, huh? I mean, oh. what really? It, what's really crazy is there's no warning. I mean, I didn't realize that mm. that was a problem until I was just jumping on a trampoline, and then it occurred to me simultaneously while jumping, I'm peeing. Yes, yeah. I right. am peeing. Just like, I didn't... Out. This is a post-birth thing, I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it really just happened. It wasn't that there I had to pee, and yeah. then I was like, oh, I'll wait, and I'll just jump Right, first. no, it just happens. It's just, yeah, just you know, Whatever now, was in there came out. Yes. Right. Now it, now it's a an aquatic feature. A hundred percent. They always have them on the list, you know, when they say 10 things emergency room doctors <laughs> never have in their homes or like don't let children have. Uh-huh. And I feel like they should just make it 10 things you should never have. If you've had a vaginal birth. Because you're just going to be constantly peeing. <laughs> These are the things right. that you can no longer be a part of. Yes. yes. I mean, I don't, I, the good news is I don't miss trampolining that no, much. Oh, no, I don't no. like it. No. I also don't like jumping jacks for the same reason. No, so I'm good not to do jumping no, jacks. Sorry, yeah. aerobics. Yeah. Bye-bye. Stay in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> well, in addition to um, Jamie and I having birthed our first and, in my case, only child almost at the same time. We sure time, did. Yep. You may know Jamie, well... First of all, she's a fantastic actress, and she does a wonderful character named Beverly Ginsburg, who you will see in a new solo show mm-hmm. in Brooklyn on June 11th. Yep. But you, we're going to link to that so you can get all the deets there. Beverly, hopefully, Beverly's ho- big comeback. And hopefully some dates in L.A. Maybe eventually after that, we'll see how, let's see yes. how Brooklyn goes. But, okay. you know, it's time for Beverly to resurface. So. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And, but in a strange turn of events. Oh, yeah. She's now a writer on Grey's Anatomy, of all things. Yeah, it makes no sense at all. No sense don't at to, all. Don't think about it too hard. Your so, head will explode. <laughs> <laughs> but before you had this illustrious job... Oh, yeah. You wrote... No, no, no. You were a performer on... Yep, even worse. My big, fat, obnoxious boss. Wow. Right. So listeners of this show might recall, I think I've said it a couple of times, that I wrote on its predecessor, uh-huh. my big fat obnoxious fiance. The far more successful to was the it? spinoff. Yo, was what? it far? That's why it has a spinoff. I can't believe it has a spinoff because I'll just quickly mm-hmm. explain that the show was supposed to be a comedy. Uh-huh. The premise of the show, very, very quickly, 
was that these two people are getting married. They're not really getting married. They're on a game show where if they convince their families that they're in love, they're strangers. It was hybrid reality prank show, which I think it's important to contextualize that both the shows that we're talking about came out of the punked era of mid-aughts, early to Mm mid-aughts, like, we're all doing prank shows. Well, and Joe Schmo had already been on, and Joe Schmo was actually very, very good, and, like, Kristen Wiig was on it, and it was really good. So, the premise of these, for those of you who I hope can't remember this favorite television, (laughs) (laughs) was that they would hire, they would... Ground around for the improvisers in right. the best comedy theaters like the Groundlings like you're just saying or at UCB and they would force you to think that you were having a legitimate job in the industry by right. then putting you in a position <laughs> right. to prank suspecting unsuspecting right. aspiring reality show so people. So in the two case people of, okay the, so in the case of fiance yes mm-hmm. the, the premise what, what the woman is told is that you're both contestants you're both regular people who are pretending that you're in love you're not a match you're going to convince your families that you're getting married and they ha- and if you if Make you get to I do you get a million dollars each okay in reality only the woman was a contestant and the man was an actor okay who did his best to be uh, he was adorable actually okay to be another Grey's Anatomy yes because he was the bartender on Grey's Anatomy his job yes. right after this yes. was oh. he was the bartender for like the first few seasons of Grey's Anatomy yes. Joe okay yes Ooh. but before what? but anyway so that's and weird and he's supposed Namaste. to be terrible he's right. supposed to be, he's supposed a to be big a, slovenly right like making inappropriate jokes okay. doing, so we were writing the inappropriate things he was doing okay the, the problem was <laughs> that she came from an extremely uptight uh, Orange County like rich white family. Oh, and okay. they hated him. But isn't that, what you, just, isn't that what you wanted? Yes, for yes. comedy, you wanted them to be annoyed by him. Yes. For horrible and cringe, you they hated him. They like wanted to disown her, basically. It was awful. So it went too far. So we and had it didn't to, work. we had to pull everything back they were all, and make it they dramatic. Were, they were starting from the place of already this is so distasteful that our daughter right. is doing a reality show. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. And she had these two like short buff like brothers like, who were like finance bros. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, so it turned into a drama where it had to be scripted that we were like tiptoeing around because it was so devastating devastating and then the head of Fox whatever that guy's name was was literally on literally on the sidelines like laughing as like money signs were going in his eyes yeah because people were like this is no longer I'm not watching because it's funny I'm watching because this is a fucking train wreck yeah oh okay. wow so oh, wow. that was my experience actually Blanca Patch former guest on the show yes. was one of uh, the other writers oh my god okay so now I was not called about this Season. Did you even hear about and they, this? And wait, so Jimmy, these, so they were like, "That was a train wreck." Let's, let's do it do again. It again. Uh-huh. Yes, <laughs> correct. Jimmy says we watched your show. I don't remember it. Oh, but God. I'm sure you, I did. I'm sure you blocked it out, and I'll tell you <laughs> okay. all the reasons why. Okay. Okay, so then they think we've got money gold coming in and gold <laughs> coins okay. being thrown at Fox. And they're like, we're going to. And I remember getting the call to audition. And what was crazy is they did not tell us what it was because we all were signing NDAs. That's mm. how big and important. Yes. Not just, oh my God. Not NDAs. Just, yep. To audition, we had to sign NDAs. It was Julie Ashton casting. Okay. She, did, she was like, you know, and she went on to, to be like this. Premier comedy. Oh, she cast Reno 911. So, of course, she's got amazing comedic taste. So, when all of these like shows actually had some sort of believed prestige, she was the one to go to, right? Got it. So, she's like, you have to audition it, whatever. Improv auditioning, right? So, um, I don't remember the process, but I remember that I booked whatever this thing was. Uh And I don't know if they told us before we finally were like invited to be an official part of it or not. Okay. 
But I find out it is a show called My Big Fat Obnoxious Boss, which was to be the basically the parody of The Apprentice. Okay. Uh, wherein we would have a fake Trump, except that we were going to make him, I forget what his, it, they got a guy to portray a fake venture capitalist. Okay. A fake Carolyn in the original <laughs> Apprentice, his right hand woman was this ice blonde yes. cold bitch named Carolyn. That uh-huh. was to be me. Oh, oh okay. Wow. I remember Carolyn very well. Do Danielle Schneider was cast as the boss's like ne'er do well Paris Hilton daughter. And I was a little okay. bit like, we're I'm literally I'm a year older than her. Why am I playing <laughs> this like decrepit fucking harsh bitch? And she's playing like the fun like Kardashian. I was like, this is bananas. But anyway, at least I was had Danielle to go through this with, so it proves that it was real. Kent Sublet, who is now the one of the head has been the head writer of SNL for I think oh. the, at least the past right. He's been at SNL forever. He was a groundling. Okay. He was playing I think her her shitty brother. Okay. And then this other improviser was playing like the enforcer of I don't know. Anyway, his name was David John. He was very funny. And then the the guy had no the Trump guy was like a former lawyer, so he could make up a lot of legal okay. which okay. was kind of great. And the premise was that the contestants had no idea that this was fake and that we were. We were all fake. Oh, so, so they it's thought a bunch they were going of, on like correct. an apprentice. So they show. had like twelve contestants who were basically like not able. They weren't good enough to get on the apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> Did they just take rejects from the? It, I'm sure because they were a lot of them were uh, bless their hearts. Like they, they were like <laughs> they were like MBAs, I guess, or uh, like like mm-hmm. not like shitty school MBAs, or like maybe like whatever you would pass for a entrepreneur. I don't know if they were real entrepreneurs or if they were lying about it, okay. but they were just a 12 a group of like 12 that to me, they were like sorority and frat boy type. Gotcha. Kids. Bless. God bless these <laughs> oh. poor kids. So they come in and the creators of the show were monsters. Yeah. Um, I don't even, honestly, I do kind of remember them. I'm not going to say who they yeah. Um, And I remember, like so, it was all took place in Chicago. This was the other thing. So they put us in Chicago, and I just got married. This was right after I married. Okay, and they were like, "Okay, you're going to go to Chicago in the middle of the summer for like six weeks." And first of all, it was I don't know if you've been to Chicago in the summer. Yes, it's painfully humid. <laughs> yeah. it's the arm. It's an armpit. Right, and it so it was very hot. I remember that, and I was always in a business suit, like a wool business suit. <laughs> because you're the old correct Carolyn and. I, I blocked out so much of this, but our job was to just have these elaborate, like, business-themed pranks. So, like, one of them was, like, them running around. This was actually funny when you describe it. My favorite one was they had to do office-type tasks, like Xerox, 75 pages, <laughs> it, on, an, on a Xerox machine in the middle of a field uh-huh. while we shot paintballs at them. Okay, <laughs> that's really funny. Like shit like yeah. that. And like whoever had the least number of paintballs. So like <laughs> stuff like that. Like there were pranks. Like I didn't have to do a lot of those because those were kind of just like on their own. And then what I was tasked with doing were these boardrooms, right? So you remember the boardrooms? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Those were, so for six to eight hour long shoots, okay, you have the two contestants who are like up for elimination and we would have to sit across from them and, you know, say horribly mean things to them and like demoralize <laughs> oh, them. God. And what was awful, extra awful about it is that in between shots, we had to maintain these fake characters. Right, right. And my character was 
a bitch, an icy oh, bitch. So on our, like, I couldn't talk to them. And if I did, I had to, like, really sneer at them and just be awful to them. Oh, no. And the more awful I was, like, they would sometimes try and catch that. I thought they were trying to catch that off camera. So, you know, because you, you wanted to feel like at least I'm performing yes. for a reason and not just being a monster. Oh. All I can remember is they also, this was when I learned that reality shows just ply their their people, their cast with alcohol. Because oh. like, I remember they were in this like, you know, whatever, some shit, some stupid penthouse in, mm-hmm. you know, right. and they just had a full bar and they were wasted at all times. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I remember one day I was so beaten down. It was probably after a boardroom scenario where we just had to be super mean to them. And then they would like, are they, they just, crying and stuff? I don't remember if they, probably oh. I can't remember again I really blocked it out and I have only, I have never watched a full episode okay you can't so <laughs> I just remember being in the elevator and I was with one of the producers and this other woman gets is in the elevator with her and the producer she's like oh Jamie this is Dr. Jenna blah 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 she's you know the psychologist here is part of the show and I go oh my god thank god oh. I go listen I am just feeling so guilty like I feel bad like these kids like they don't know what's going on they're like 25 years old maybe and they you know they think that they're gonna be just gonna be humiliated you know what I mean and blah 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 and she and the producer just goes Jamie she, she's here for the contestants oh my god and I go <laughs> oh my god so oh I was constantly feeling oh. terrible and like then they were trying like they I remember they kept pushing Danielle to be super super slutty and to like hit on the contestants because it was a different time yes yeah. but she was of course super uncomfortable with it yeah I would have been then would be wouldn't happen now right and me I was supposed to be super frigid so I remember like there, I had a tea party with some of the female contestants like the ones who won a tea party with Carolyn to like hear about how amazing her career was and I just remember like I barely I was sitting with like four of them and like telling them that like you really need to sleep your way to the top and like you have to, have to, shut, you have to shut off your emotions and just like let your body do the work and then cover it up as soon as you get want to be taken seriously like I just oh saying God. terrible oh horrible God. things to these girls who I remember just being like, wide eyed and like horrified and it w- it did so poorly in the ratings oh. that this was, I believe, among the first television shows to just be shut off, cut, canceled in the middle. And then the unaired episodes were available on like what was passing for ABC online at the time. Oh, so, Or not wow. ABC, Fox Online, whatever Fox it was. Right. And I remember like trying to watch the episodes with like a, a modem that like it was buffering there was so much buffering <laughs> that I was like oh I don't have to watch this you can definitely see online you can definitely see the paintball thing you can definitely see <laughs> a clip of a clip of us doing a boardroom scene and like their objective was that they ha- couldn't break focus and so we were like throwing like rolling a bowling ball out of them and like throwing balls at their right. faces yeah. and like throwing hacky sacks at their heads while they're trying <laughs> oh, to have a normal God. conversation then I will say, like, the big twist, also funny, could have been funny, which was that the he, that the the bad boss, yeah. who turned out to be, like, again, like, this guy just wanted to be an actor. Like, yeah. I have no idea where he is now. My, uh-huh. my apologies if for some reason he's listening to this. Um, 
he was a nice enough guy, uh-huh. but like, you know, he didn't have a lot of comedic chops to also because he was an unknown. So right. like, you know, he's playing tr- the version of Trump. So right. like, he also had to create, we had to create so much of this like fake business. I remember we had to take classes in venture capitalism. Whoa. Learned, this oh. is where I learned about venture capitalism so that we could bullshit properly. Yes. Okay. So that's what I was going to ask. How much was, I'm sh- was it just the beats were written out? Like, in, yeah. in this board meeting, you'll do this, this, and yeah, this, but I you have so. to do all the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And, and, yep. okay. and we had to be prepared because it was, there was so much downtime with these kids. Yeah. Like at co- fake cocktail parties and shit. <laughs> oh my God. So, so we you're had, just working all the time because correct. even during breaks, you don't get to break character. Never breaking character. It's exhausting. Oh my and God. And always knowing that like, if they're going to talk about some aspect of business. Yeah, they all have MBAs. What, yeah, what the fuck and do you're I know? Be, like shit. an executive. Correct. So, so they're going <laughs> to, I'm like, I had three workshops, hour long workshops. And what if, what is a venture capitalist? I'm like, you expect me to just like, okay, I, whatever. It I turns know. out that's all you need. Uh, so the, the, but the, but the big twist that you could only see if you watched the last episode, which <laughs> I just hunt for online. <laughs> I mean, I knew what it was, which was that whoever, when he was making the final decision between two contestants mm-hmm. every time, yeah, it was a chimpanzee in an office, like spinning a wheel with the character with the people's name. That's actually pretty funny. However, it's so pretty wait, prank. So there was footage. There was actual footage. There is of, footage of a chimpanzee, I okay. believe, who is spinning the wheel with the ca- faces of the cat. So the okay. chimpanzee decided who won. All right. Ultimately, I believe, as I recall, <laughs> I did like get into I, two. One or two of them claimed that they knew it was a prank at least halfway through. Okay. Oh. And one of them was from Boston and he was such a nice guy. And I remember having like a little online like through Facebook because it was still like the beginning of Facebook. Uh-huh. Maybe not the beginning of Facebook, but like Facebook was still young. Mm-hmm. And I remember like having a nice dialogue with him afterwards and like basically apologizing. Uh-huh. Like, I'm super sorry that <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah. But we had this nice kind of rapport. I have no idea what became of it anyone else so did the actual winner win money i think that the actual winner yeah because i guess in the world of the show they were supposed to win a spot in the in the organization oh right, the, right. Like, like in Trump. the apprentice yeah. yes but presumably they walked away with some kind of money and horribly oh my god i have a question uh-huh. at the in the last episode did you get to reveal your true personality to them and like did, did they get to find out it was a prank show at the end how awful is it that i cannot fucking re- well yes but i don't remember how i revealed anything to them yeah mm-hmm. but beyond that there would have only been one contestant left because they went right. home oh, right so they just went home thinking it was real correct it's so weird wow. because it's such a slight twist. Like it's like a lame reality show pretending to be a different lame reality show. Like it's not yes. that much of a no of a of a right turn. I know. Except and that oh, you don't get a job. I know. <laughs> it's not right. Yeah. And then I remember the the like they were trying to have the the other guy who was like the right hand of our fake Trump guy hit on some of the dudes oh and so, haha yeah it was gay. just like funny yeah i mean it was oh my God. and i i guess i feel more compassion for the creators now because honestly they were two aspiring comedy writers like god bless who were yeah. just like this, this is our it's a gig right, i mean right yeah they felt a little bit more involved than i feel like you would have been on yours as a joke writer for yeah because also like they were around constantly like they were on set and they were you know what i mean it was just different but it was so 
miserable. I just came home feeling awful about the world, about entertainment, about all of it. I mean, now it's like, and it's funny, I wrote a piece about it that I tried to, I forgot to actually print it out. Um, I I told the story during the Trump presidency. Remember Mm. that? Um, I don't know if you guys remember I remember and I might be remembering again soon. Fair enough. No, you won't. Don't you say (laughs) that. No, 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 no. How dare you? It's in the past. It's not happening. It's in the past. Okay. But I remember thinking, I wrote a piece for like one of those uh, storytelling shows Uh about, it wasn't the moth, it was the one that, anyway, it doesn't matter. And about how surreal it was. It's like we have a fake president, but I was on the reality show with the fake version, right. the fake boss version of the fake president. Right? You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was really such wild. a meta strange. And he yes. was pretending to be something he wasn't even on the show. Correct. Because yes, I don't think those people really got jobs. No. with the Trump organization. Yes, he was acting on that, and that's what made people believe he yes. would be a good president. And he was acting like a successful businessman, like, which, which is wasn't. also weird. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah. The whole thing is responsible. Yeah, I know. yeah. And I was like, so did I somehow even play into? The fake, the, the mythology, the mythology and the fakeness that we're all being subjected to. I mean, yeah. I, I don't give myself that much credit. And like <laughs> I said, all your fault, Jamie. <laughs> but but man, I just hated that I had any part of yeah. it. You know, I, um, I guess I didn't feel as bad. Well, first of all, it was only one. It was only one family. Person, right. It was her family, too. But her family were such kind of just like. Oh, they were awful. I remember like kind of. I remember you were so better than mine. <laughs> Huh. They were sort of stereotypical jerks that I didn't feel that bad. I was actually just more annoyed that we had to get rid of the comedy because that's why we were there and that it had to suddenly be earnest. I remember Julie Ashton in when we like going like, this is going to change your life. <laughs> like, I do remember that being the sentiment. Like, this is fucking big. <laughs> and, you know, what's hilarious is in a way, it kind of it could it's I understand why she was going off of that but it wasn't but ultimately God bless Steve yeah it wasn't even life altering for him no in the way that as to say like everyone exactly knows who he is right now and recognizes his name he doesn't have name recognition so it's like it was big, but not in the way that she no. was yeah. it. Yeah. But also, thank God it wasn't big. <laughs> yes. Because then I would be forever associated with this thing that I have to like remind everyone about. Oh, my so, God. So thank God, because I survived what could have ultimately been even more embarrassing. So you yeah. had Danielle with you the whole time. Oh, my so God. were you guys just commiserating off? All I can remember is no, they had us also in this very industrial hotel. Like, they ran out of money because they <laughs> spent it all on the loft. So, you know, we're pretending that we're staying in our, like, you know, incredible corporate housing from this <laughs> fake business and that we have all the luxuries. And we're in what's essentially a Radisson in the middle. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember the rooms were so dark and the, oh, and the rug was super brown. And I remember like crying, talking to John, who had just married, going like, this is a nightmare. And I remember like Kent and Danielle and I just like crying and crying laughing <laughs> that we were invol- involved in this horror show. Are you watching, I've talked about this before, are you watching Jury Duty? No. Okay, so Jury Duty is this done right. Oh my God. It's hysterical. It's on Amazon and Freebie, no, Freebie. Freebie. Oh God, these networks. James Marsden is on it and plays okay. himself. It's the premises. Without- I've seen the, tra- I've seen the um, poster. It's hysterical. 
There's only one mark, and it's everyone is nice. No one. I mean, there are jerky like James Morrison so plays an asshole version of himself. Yeah, but even that, it's always just, funny. It's when so that funny. Yeah, I've been on that guy. Yeah, since America, you knew him for. Before, I I yep. knew that he was special. I'll tell you since that. Since what? Since since um since before America. Figured oh, before it out. America figured it out. Okay, God, that's got what it, got I it, got it. Yeah, no, I I have people I'm like proud that. Of this. Yeah, that's how I feel about Ryan Gosling. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you I claim, also you fe- claim him. Yeah, I also feel like I hated Gwyneth Paltrow long before anyone else. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Wait, here's you, my, you hate her during Shakespeare in Love. No, not as an actress, just as a person. Okay, can oh, I just okay. say something? <laughs> yeah. Here's what sucks, and maybe I'm gonna run into it right now. Let's see okay. in real time. Okay, I feel like when I say, "Oh, I can't with Gwyneth Paltrow." I, whatever woman my age that I'm with just goes me neither, but I do love her recipes. Ew! What? <laughs> I feel like they are, like I, every time I'm like I feel too fucking hate with them. like I can't stand it. But I'm telling you, the goop, but the goop cookbook is amazing, and everything I eat comes out of it. Every fucking time. I don't know anyone. I who don't. Cooks I don't her. know anyone wealthy enough to be involved. Okay, in you know what? Goop. I'm hanging out with yeah. the wrong lady. Yes, you gotta you get are. new friends. You are. I'm also, wh- she doesn't fucking write those recipes. There's no way. Thank you. Right. She has I'm a team. Can't. I'm not interested. No. In her, I know, and like I, by she, the way, how everyone was after the ski trial, <laughs> all she had to do was, I wish you well. And people are like, She is a saint, baller move. I know, baller move. And she's I'm like, fierce. Is it? No, I think no. she's a cunt. I'm like, Have we forgotten what we're watching here? Yeah, no, I don't think. And by the way, even though I do think that at the end of the day, she probably was not at fault for his injuries, I will say. They were all awful. Yeah. She yelled at him. He was on the ground and she was like, what the fuck? And it's like, she was? She, while he was on the ground? Yes, and he was an old man that she did not help. So let's not forget yeah. that she did not wish him well. No. no. Even though she was found innocent. Yeah. No, I um, I, I agree. I think, I think she is just... I've said everything. She's I need just to say. what I like is that she doesn't disappoint. She's so consistent in her character. I agree. I mean, she goes to a yoga studio, studio, goes into a yoga class that's full, and says, "Do you know who I am? I help make yoga famous." I mean, that yes. is wow. That is what you have to love about her. She's but, she's but I don't also love her. the one who says, "Look." I've had to work really hard in this mm-hmm. business. Does she really? They all do. Yeah, her she, and Kate Hudson. They she, just got their, their. My parents just got my foot in the door. That's the hard part. That's the hardest fucking part. Yeah, that is the hardest part. I think they should say, "I'm really, really lucky, and I'm talented." And, and those two go hand in and hand. And my godfather, Steven Spielberg, and my first movie was <laughs> Hook because he put me in it. Like, no, you don't work as hard <sighs> as other people, and you were already wealthy. And but her lemon poppy seed. Uh, <laughs> It's to die for. It's so good. It's to die for. It's almost as good as Olivia Wilde's. Oh my God. (laughs) She can't touch her salad dressing. Her salad dressing. She stole it. Her salad dressing. Yeah, yeah. she dressing. stole it from someone else. Oh, I don't know. I just. Oh, I hate oh, no. it. White <laughs> women need to die. White women. Oh my god. Yeah. Sometimes you get sucked into things. I did that with the the Depp Heard trial, where it was like people were like, "I don't. I'm not going to watch a second of that." And I was like, "I will watch every moment, every little bit." But her mint apple green apple sorbet is so you just it's so you know but really you know what it's the fresh mint she uses she fresh sucks, mint she uses fresh mint she crushes, does, she crushes doesn't smash mm-hmm. Do, does she use really good olive oil when she if you use, don't get really yeah. good olive oil mm-hmm. you yeah. will taste the difference yeah. and you, you know will. what you have to get it from a certain region in Tuscany because yeah. a lot of oil is fake and yeah. not you even have, from Italy. If you, if you right. have to harvest it yourself so then when you that. get when you get there on your jet yeah. park your jet 
right up in the next field. to the, right on top of the olive oil yes. grove. Yeah, the olive and, oil which grove. Which is great because then you can just kind of lean out the window and, and you don't have to some and you don't have to change into flats. They'll just hand it no. to you. <laughs> you don't have to change into flats. There's a little man who will just hand it to you. A little man, little they call him Mr. Olive. Yeah. And it sounds better in Italian, which uh, you should it, learn. Yes. Um, and he has a monocle, which is perfect because he, he only has really one eye. He has one eye. The olive. other my eye jet, is an olive. My yeah. jet fuel blew out his other eye. That's right. <laughs> but but I okay. got. But it was worth it. He tried it to sue so me, but I won. Good. It was worth it. Also, she doesn't eat, right? We can all agree. She said she doesn't eat. She only eats bone broth and. Oh, like, that's right. She said it. Stem. That's right. <laughs> that's right. She said that. So why? So she's not eating anything in those recipe books, unless unless all the recipes are bone broth. I all I can tell you is I have too many white women in my life who are like I totally hate her but, but. her carbonara <laughs> is made with the freshest of fresh tomato that you can only get from See, this Gwyneth's is, backyard this is garden Grey's Anatomy rooms this I is, guess this is when we find out that Jamie lives in a mansion in the Palisades my cookbook yeah. is coming out next year. Did you talk oh, about that? Oh, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's um, you can make your own. Uh, I can't even. I, I, hope I hate myself so out. much. I, hope, I hate this character so I hope much. I give picture, up. I'm quit. I quit. I hope the cover photo is you in an apron and that's it. <laughs> just an apron. <laughs> just like that, that's cut so you can see like uh-huh. your side nip. Yep. Side, so you side can side see boob. my handle. Uh huh. Yeah. And, and I'm peeing at the same time. Right. Like you'll Ooh. see the pee while, while into an happening. olive oil Correct. bottle. Uh huh. An imported olive oil bottle. Yep. I can't wait. Can't Look wait. for it on Grey's Anatomy <laughs> next season. Someone comes in with an olive oil bottle at the rectum. I'll pitch it, and my and my my very patient boss Meg Marinas, who is the greatest, will go Jamie, and then change it all as she should, as she should. Yeah, Jamie, this has been so much fun. So much fun. I'm so glad great. we finally got you on. Oh, I'm I, hashtag blessed. Hashtag great. Oh, oh my god. Finally. Hashtag I know love this and is poppy great. seed dressing. You guys, I know. It's really good. I can't wait to check out her recipes. I hate, I hate her so much. I'm going to go kill myself. <laughs> and we will be right back with, what did we learn today? Christine? Yeah. Are you ready to learn what we learned today? I love learning. Rafifi is the 1955 French film, sorry, French, not Italian, about four men who plan a technically perfect crime, but the human element intervenes. Humans, man. I do suggest watching it. Oh, more cat giving birth info. Fantastic. When a cat gives birth, the mother cat usually remains continuously with newborn kittens for one or two days after giving birth. Mm. Oh, she may then leave the nest for short periods. Also, a mother cat will often pick up and move her litter to a new location, especially during the first few weeks after birth. There you go. Okay, so she's... She's behaving properly, I guess. She's doing the right thing. She's doing the right thing. Danielle, you have to watch the video, if you haven't yet, in the newsletter of the cat that gives birth. Wait, what? I you put, put in yeah. a video? It's not graphic at all. It's really cute. It's a cat oh, that's, like, making biscuits the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cute. It's okay. really cute. Because I started reading the newsletter yesterday and then got distracted by something, so I have not gotten to that part yet, but can't wait. Um... It can be a thin line between collecting and hoarding. Just saying. Yeah. Hoarding can be connected to numerous mental disorders and can have repercussions for many who aren't part of the household, for instance, neighbors and family. Hoarding can also lead to numerous unseen issues like mold creatures, breathing issues, and more. Creatures. Creatures. All right. I want to remind everyone to sign up for our newsletter. Yes. You can go to podhowtosurvive.com and then a screen pops up with our big faces. Yes. That says, hey, sign up here. 
Yep. That's all you got to do. It's so easy. And there's so much information in the newsletter. It's, it's packed. Yeah, because it's, it. yes, it somewhat runs down what happened in the episode, but it, it, it has links to things we've just, you know, casually mentioned. It has fun tidbits, fun facts. Extra jokes about Garen. Yep. Sometimes, uh, you know, just free cool stuff. Yeah. I don't know what I just said. Uh, what I meant to say was, it's free. It's free added value there to your you listening go. experience. There you go. That's what I was trying to say. And you know what? Next week, we're mm. going to do some more thank yous to our patrons. Yes. Oh, and this week, we're recording a bonus episode. That's right. And who it's going to be is a big fat surprise. Yeah, you'll see. Um, but until next time, remain, remain calm. calm.